0: Hello and welcome to episode three of the GSI podcast. I'm Robin Powell. GSI stands for Global Systematic Investors. The company's mission is to provide a successful long-term investment experience whilst allocating more to companies with a sustainable vision. To find out more, just visit the website GSILP.com. That's GSILP.com. In this episode, we're going to look at how, by working together, shareholders can have a much bigger impact on the way businesses are run than they would do on their own. Just because a fund manager is small, that doesn't mean they can't make a difference. GSI likes to work in coalition with other like-minded organisations and one of those is ShareAction, a charity that promotes responsible investing and works to improve corporate behaviour on environmental, social and governance issues. I've been interviewing Helen Wiggs, ShareAction's Head of Corporate Climate. I started by asking Helen for some background information about the organisation and how it's developed.
1: ShareAction is a charity with NGO status. Um, And we've been going just over 15 years now. So we started Life as a campaign that worked with People and Planet, um, where we helped Britain's largest pension fund adopt a responsible investment policy. Um, and really, our focus, I think, from the beginning was more on the S, interestingly enough, rather than the E. But um, we've grown quite significantly over time. And we've gone in the last three years from being a 40 plus person outfit to something more like 90 now. And I think that just reflects where we've got to with focus on sustainability.
0: You say you started on on, on S, but you've moved more over to, to E as the, as the years have gone by. Is that right?
1: Well, well, I kind of see ESG as, as pretty much indivisible, really. And um, I think they're kind of mutually supportive. And it's not as if we've stepped away from S by any stretch of the imagination. But I think E is just generally in a lot more people's consciousness now because of expediency around climate.
0: I saw a report uh, the other day, and there's an article in The Economist suggesting that actually ESG is too broad ranging, if you like, and maybe it's time to actually focus attention not not exclusively but primarily on on climate change what's your view on that
1: i'd still go back to arguing that the the whole esg premise is pretty much indivisible so whatever affects us from a climate perspective is inevitably going to affect us from a social perspective as well. Um, And this could be as we see increasing examples of physical risk happening right across the globe, be it um, extensive heat or flooding. And and what I think of um, in terms of ESG now, which I saw described in a Forbes interview, is enhanced due diligence. And, and I think that re- is a really great description of ESG. And, and we don't talk enough really about governance because governance is so important in terms of getting the S and the E right as well. What would
0: you say is Share Action's purpose as an organisation?
1: So our purpose really is that we're trying to sort of help build a world where the financial system really serves our planet and its people. And we want to just encourage um, a better standard of stewardship and just overall investor engagement along those lines of um, sustainability, and w- with ESG firmly in mind.
0: And do do you find that you you genuinely are are making a difference in those areas?
1: I'm, I've been at share actions for three and a half years now, and I have to say that if I look through uh, things in a rearview mirror, there's been seismic change in the way at least European investor, investors are thinking about sustainability and stewardship. And certainly more investors are actually turning to us um, to ask for help and advice. So so yes, I can certainly see progress.
0: I I think I've seen uh, ShareAction describe itself as a a critical friend, if if you like. What what do you mean by critical friend? How how do you see your your, your role in that respect?
1: Yeah. So so it's really important to us that um, as a charity, we're independent. So we're philanthropically funded, Um, by charities and endowments. Now, there are some um, climate focused or ESG focused entities or investor coalitions um, that are funded by investor subscriptions. And for us, it's quite important to be independent. um, Because we do feel that being a critical friend means that we have to speak truth to power. um, And it's very hard to speak truth to power when that power is paying your salary. So, from that perspective, we want to be supportive, but we also want to call out bad actors when need be.
0: You say you've you've been there yourself uh, for, for uh, I think three years. You said, what what is your background, and, and and how did you come to 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 end up at at Share Action?
1: Yes. Yeah, so my background is financial services. So I, I worked as a broker for fifteen years, um, covering global markets. And I think when you work as a broker, you're inevitably colored somewhat by the experiences in your career and probably more the recessions and bear markets than the bull markets. And I think um, what really left its imprint on me was uh, just just risk and how we think about risk as investors. And in my final breaking job, they, they were starting to write about ESG, not in a way that we probably read about ESG now, but it really fascinated me that climate was a risk and I was concerned that perhaps um, from a broker client perspective we weren't best serving our clients in communicating that risk. So I think it's really an interesting kind of um, role that NGOs play now where we're starting to fill the vacuum of broker research that can't really necessarily produce the kind of research that we're producing because there might be some conflicts of interest or relationships that are problematic where, where they just can't write the kind of things that we write.
0: Uh, that's interesting that you, you've actually moved over from from the City of London. We've had um, a, a few um, voices in, in the city, uh, if you like, um, questioning the value of, of, of ESG in, in, in recent months. From your own experience of working there, how How seriously do you think the city does take esg and and particularly climate risk?
1: yeah, it it's it's a really thorny one to answer. I, I think one thing I sort of take away as a positive. in the last three years, when we've spoken to banks, climate now has moved to underneath their kind of risk umbrella and their overall risk umbrella. So, 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 they, so they know it's there. I think one of the things that we talk about a lot um, is alignment. And alignment, often people often think about one and a half degree alignment so a lot, or alignment with Paris Promises. But actually, I think we need to think about alignment within banks as entire entities. And in some large banks, there are inevitably some business units that are more aligned than others. And those that take it more seriously than others, because they're seeing impact already on their bottom line or business units, or at least are starting to see reputational risk coming in as well. Mm.
0: So you have something at, at uh, ShareAction called the, the Investor Decarbonisation Initiative. Uh, tell me something about that and, and how it works.
1: So, so the Investor Decarbonisation Initiative is six years standing now, and it's evolved over that time. So um, in its sort of initial sort of um, version, um, it brought together a coalition of investors who were really focusing on decarbonisation of, of industry. So we used the investor voice to send investor-backed letters to companies globally anywhere in the world to ask them for commitments to either science-based targets initiative, or um, to or for commitments to um, electronic vehicle, decarbonisation of of corporate fleet to um, 100% EVs by 2030. Um, And and then really over time we realised, and this is a learning from our work with banks, that actually engagement was much more effective if we started to talk to companies and consistently on a sectoral level. So we've moved from a very global um, cross-sector focus to now particularly looking at the chemical industry Um, And IDI really focuses on um, an opportunity for investors to collaborate, learn, and advocate. So from collaboration, From a collaboration perspective, it means that members can really amplify their influence over companies through collective engagement. And over the last six months, we've been talking to European chemical companies um, with our investor coalition and really just digging a bit deeper on their transition plans. And then also we're producing our own research to help fill um, knowledge gaps among investors, because it's really interesting that investors are obviously very time poor um, and just don't have the time to really produce very in-depth research that kind of kicks the ties in a way that's non-financial. So there's quite a lot of not qualitative pieces that we're putting out where investors can look at these companies from a purely climate perspective. And then lastly, really, from an advocacy point of view, we're encouraging investors to go and ask more difficult questions of of companies at AGM and sign letters and just asking for stronger commitments and and, and faster action on climate.
0: You were talking earlier about your uh, independence, uh, being a charity, and and so on, and 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 you very much see that as 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 a benefit in this regard. But but you just mentioned collaboration there, and I, I noticed that Share Action seems to be involved in putting together coalitions, if you like, to to exert influence. So how how important do you think that is, and why why do you do it?
1: we could write to a large corporate as just us as as share action. But if we can mobilize 15 trillion of assets under management um, in a letter behind us, it's really hard for an investor relations team to not answer. And and that makes it incredibly powerful. And not only that, but when investors are willing to go public with letters, it really starts to bring um, social or climate issues into the spotlight and gets picked up by media and press.
0: One of the things that's so exciting about ESG is that it's it's almost changing investing from something that's been you know a competitive activity in the past that it, investors have in effect been competing with each other whereas now in, in many ways they're, they're they're on the same side on, on issues Tell me something about that.
1: Yeah, I I think there's inevitably um, a lot more best practice and knowledge sharing that's gone on. And and certainly from my background, I've seen hugely sort of competitive um, behavior going on in the past with investors. But now I do feel that there is sort of a a lot more learning and and interesting, not just across the investor space, but also if you speak to particular companies, there's now a lot of cross-sectoral peer learning Um, in terms of where they can start to make inroads. So when we did a lot of work on transport and how to decarbonise corporate fleet, it was really fascinating to see how many companies really work together. And the climate group leads a campaign called EV100, which we got behind in the initial stages of IDI. And the peer learning was a huge um, attraction and still is to, to those members of EV100 because they want to know what the options are out there and what have fleet managers learned um from their own sort of ad- adoption and pathway to decarbonising a corporate fleet.
0: So so what do you think is the role of, of, of investors as as far as ESG is concerned and a sort of phrase that 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 you use on on the website is 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 catalyst for change. Are investors catalyst for change? If so what, what what does that mean? Um or, or are they actually you know, the change agents themselves?
1: I think it's a bit of both really. Um, and and I and I think what's really fascinating if I think about my former life we've all we've always seen activist investors um if we think of activism in, in the old way it was how do you maximize the best possible from your investment and I think activism now with a, with a climate lens is is generally and genuinely investors trying to influence things for, for the good of companies and I think some companies would recognize that they're not far enough along their own ESG pathway as, as they need to be and they do to some extent actually appreciate investor insight in the same way that they'd invest appreciate investor insight in the old way in terms of thoughts about general financial progress.
0: Mm. So tell me a little bit more about um, uh, engagement with, with company boards um, th- and it's fair to say I think there are different levels of engagement aren't there?
1: Yeah, and this is something I think particularly over the last couple of years we've seen from an investor standpoint, where investors are getting a bit more sophisticated about um, their stewardship levels and are now starting to be a little bit more courageous in um, deploying escalation strategies. And that's certainly something that we've had um, in progress for some time now at at ShareAction. So so if you like low-level engagement, would not necessarily be a board level. It would be a letter to um, senior management requesting a particular commitment or noting something particular about an Energy policy. And then as we sort of start to escalate or feel that we're not being listened to, then it moves to more public questions. So Um, activism at AGMs where we're asking more difficult questions of boards Um, and often again that might be signals to journalists who might be picking this up as a theme from a climate or a um, a social perspective and and then it's really when we start to kind of really wind up the escalation when we start to move to resolutions where boards get involved and we start to talk to more senior level um, members of companies and our banks team particularly have been in conversations with chairmen over uh, during resolution time, because now companies really start to take things quite seriously. Yeah, I was,
0: I was going to ask about that. Do, do, have you, do you find that over time companies are being more receptive to, to what you're trying to do? Are you having uh, less resistance, if you like, as as time goes by? And clearly, <laughs> recently we've seen yet more signs of... of um, uh, the, the 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 effects of 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 climate change and, and and so on. Do do you think that companies are being more responsible now?
1: I think responsive is probably
0: responsive. It's
1: probably what I describe. I mean, again, <laughs> if I look back in the last three years, when I first started Share Action and we'd send out letters, we probably only used to get about half. Um, the responses compared to the letters we sent out now I'd say the response rate and and particularly now as we're focusing only on Europe is is nearly 100% Uh, and I think that is very much to do with the fact that there's huge reputational risk we're better known as an organisation just generally um, we've got more investors advocating for us as well so I think in the past I wouldn't necessarily have been able to ask an investor to to drop a line to a head of sustainability and now I can so the responsiveness is certainly huge so it's it's very much night and day versus three years ago.
0: Well that sounds very encouraging I suppose a question uh, that some people might ask is you know, these these companies now have um, sustainability policies. They have sustainability departments and heads of dis- sustainability, and so on. Um, so, why is it important then that we have organisations like Share Action that that are um, uh, trying to have their influence as, as well?
1: I think with heads of sustainability, it, as as somebody who's worked in a large corporate organisation that's a big ship to turn around. And and sometimes, however much we you might want to do things within your particular unit and are making, um, you're, you're providing a lot of advocacy to the board, you're not always listened to. And, and it's interesting that during AGM season, sometimes we've had heads of sustainability come to us and say, I'm really glad you asked that question because I've been bringing this up to the board for goodness knows how long and they've ignored me. And sometimes... You need an external force to, to just surface those really difficult questions that perhaps the board conveniently doesn't want to hear about.
0: Hmm. So tell me about shareholder resolutions because th- this is an important part of 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 what you do. Um, I suppose the, the bottom line is, you know, do they actually work? Are are, are they effective?
1: So they've, they've certainly not gone away, um, and there are a lot more of them versus again, three years ago. So they're effective, I think, in that they may not always be passed from a climate or an S perspective, but they put um, an issue out there in the public domain. They they bring climate front and centre, they remind boards and senior leadership um, what their climate duties perhaps ought to be. Um, and also make shareholders aware of, of risk. And I think, you know, the important role we play as share action is, um, I, I kind of think of it as sort of democratization of, of being a shareholder, because we think of shareholders mm. or investors as being fund managers. But in, in the days of auto-enrollment or ISAs, we're all shareholders. And, and I think it's helpful to remind companies that they're still beholden to the general population too.
0: Yeah, exactly. So maybe you could give me some kind of real life examples then of of, of shareholder resolutions where you know, share action has made a, 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 a positive difference.
1: I think really, if I think about our bank's resolution, so we've we've taken a resolution before to Barclays where we were just not very happy with their energy policy. Um, and even though that that resolution was defeated it sent um the company back to the 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 drawing board if you like and had a rethink and it's it's not just the Um, the resolution necessarily has to kind of be passed, it's just there sometimes to generate thinking and also a more productive conversation. And it's interesting where we have brought resolutions, particularly at the banks, where suddenly the dialogue massively picks up. So HSBC would be another example where, again, we were dissatisfied with their energy policy brought to resolution, and we're having far more conversations with them than we did previously.
0: You mentioned that banks uh, is an important focus of yours as an organ- organization, and and earlier on, I, th- I think you mentioned chemicals as as well. So, so what exactly have you been doing in the in the chemicals sector?
1: So, we looked at chemicals um, because as we started to rethink um, the investor Decarbonisation Initiative, as I mentioned, we went from being pretty much cross sectoral to um doing a deeper dive into a particular sector and we were lucky in that someone had joined us um from the fund management industry who worked as an ESG analyst so they'd seen um lots of things that had come across their desk um and, and noticed that there was an awful lot on oil and gas and and all kind of like if you like supposedly the low-hanging fruit from a decarbonisation perspective. But we had to think about what was in a lot of fund managers' portfolios that perhaps they didn't really look at or hadn't had the time to look at and was sort of related to decarbonisation and and probably had a link to oil and gas. And and chemicals was a real standout. And our our concern with chemicals was that it was kind of getting thrown into the hard-to-abate buckets that was almost seen as impossible to abate and not Really, enough attention was being given to what what was being done or what could be done.
0: When I've written about uh, shareholder activism in the past, particularly in the in the um, oil and gas um, area, um, I, I constantly get uh, comments from people saying, "Look, <laughs> investors who care about the environment shouldn't be invested in those companies at all. They should just simply walk away from them. They should divest." Um, what's your view of that? You know, is there a role for divestment or or is uh, shareholder activism a better way to go?
1: It's a really good question. Um, And and I think in previous years, we've certainly advocated for engagement. My concern about engagement now is that the window of time um, for us to take meaningful action is rapidly thinning. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think nobody could dispute the real significance now of the physical impacts of climate change globally. So we've obviously felt the effects very close to home in the UK in the last couple of days. But we could equally point to heat domes in North America um, and flooding in Australia, not to mention Mm -hmm. generally that the global south is really already suffering under climate. So... I'd still always encourage um, engagement um, for those people still invested in oil and gas companies. Uh, There is more they can do. I I think that um, from an engagement perspective, those people who are still in those companies um, are still hopeful that those companies can make that transition in plenty of time. But, but time is the one thing that we're running out of. And um, I do still get nervous that we may end up seeing forced divestment depending on how climate progresses just generally and, and what happens from here on in. Because I think even scientists have been somewhat taken aback by how quickly things are moving.
0: Yes. So moving on to, to fund managers then, what is it, do you think, that drives managers to the active shareholders?
1: Well, I'd like to go back to the phrase that I used before that, that I noticed in the Forbes article about a month ago where there are some managers who who still see ESG as as enhanced due diligence. And I think it's it's really being a great steward of, of capital and really thinking about fiduciary duty um, with an ESG lens on it and really being an active shareholder means that investors or professional investors are really thinking quite, quite closely about, um, Mm. legitimacy and, and, and I guess climate expediency and, and also what really are the factors that are likely to enhance shareholder interest, but also, as I said at the beginning, taking into account risk. There was
0: a, tweet i don't know if you saw it the other day by senator bernie sanders uh saying um that he, he you know it it was disgraceful that that so much of um uh, world equity if you like is 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 owned by um two or three massive fund managers you know vanguard BlackRock, state street for example you could look at this and say why are small players like GSI, for example, even um, thinking about this issue, surely compared to the big players, they have very little influence? Well, what do you say to that?
1: I think what is clear is that even the small, smaller managers um, can demonstrate that their voice counts um, and can demonstrate that there's a different way to do stewardship. So... And, and, and there's obviously more than GSI out there, um, but, but it's great that even at whatever level that you're operating and be, be you a sort of a boutique fund manager or a really sort of large asset manager, is that if you can demonstrate you have excellent stewardship or you're really taking climate and social and governance issues into account, you can be a pretty impactful fund manager so it, I, I don't think kind of the size is, is really necessarily w- what it's all about. It, it's really about best practice and really, you know, putting your customer first. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I think that this is this is something that, you know, we, we all struggle with in terms of seeing kind of the, the predominance of, of the larger players. But I think mm-hmm. we've all got a role to play. Um, and those who are kind of on the activist particularly on the activist side that publicity is useful irrespective of size and and if those those fund managers who work collaboratively um can can push hard enough then again this kind of brings back um climate issues into a media spotlight and and creates a discussion point
0: activists have you know, targeted the, the the big asset managers if you like I, I had a, a meeting at Vanguard the other day and there was a very big protest outside Vanguard are they uh, you know any worse or or better than than the other big fund managers at um, uh, shareholder activism
1: well I think I'd, I'd direct you to have a look at our our um our leading practice guide that we published at the end of last year and, and we run a biannual asset manager survey um, and this isn't necessarily aimed at um, individual investors it, the audience is really um, asset owners but we send a survey to the asset manager community um, on a biannual basis um, and, the, and the response rate again is actually pretty impressive and the team are incredibly d- diligent in terms of um, back-checking facts, and and then we we've ranked them according to answers, and it's incredibly noticeable that in the last couple of iterations, it's the European fund managers in general who are leading the pack, and and the US mm. managers who are somewhat behind, um, and, and I think some of that is perhaps a combination of just. Um, regulation within the European Union and, and, and aspiration and, and obviously the US has, has had um, a somewhat different administration shall we say for the last couple of years and, and probably is, is in a moment of reflection on that.
0: Mm. So just drawing a few few strands together a bit before we finish I mean what, what does good look like if you like from, from a, um, a, a shareholder activism
1: standpoint so from our um in, in response to our asset manager survey um, inevitably there's nothing like a bit of competition where when investors are scored sort of in lower quartile we often get questions about well how could we have made up extra marks what takes us up to the top 10 and in response to that we wrote a leading practice guide and the leading practice guide really highlights um some really basic things that the that people can include in their responsible investment policy and, and general practice. Uh, and one key one is, is really just voting and transparency ab- ab- about voting and rationale um, and really supporting those key climate votes that that we think can make a difference. Um, and, and beyond that is really making sure that when you're engaging that you've got really kind of steady framework of engagement. So are you asking the right questions of your investee companies um, do they have a one and a half degree target in sight? Do they have short and medium term and long term goals? Are they thinking, you know, not just about 2050, but what does their business look like? How are they future proofing for 2030, 2035? Um, how does their capex look like? Um, it, it's really just being able to sort of prove that you're really thinking about things very carefully with a climate and, and social lens. and and really, again, I'd say also thinking quite closely about governance and what governance means within a changing climate.
0: You were talking earlier on about time running out uh, to to tackle uh, climate change. And um, g- generally, you know, are, are you um, uh, optimistic, pessimistic about uh, about the the role that that um, investing, the investing industry, and investors can can play in trying to uh, combat global warming. You know, w- w- will it make a difference? Or, or ultimately, you know, is it out of investors' hands? Is it really down to to, to to governments and so on?
1: Well, well, I think doing nothing at the moment is is not an option, and I like to think optimistically how quickly so many fund managers have come in a very short space of time and some have become incredibly progressive um, in a number of years and that's not to say that we've got a lot more work to do and a lot more education to do of the investment community um but we can move really fast and i think covid was a great example of when people really know that when there's an emergency a lot can be done quite quickly. Um, I I think the thing that slightly scares me is that I do wonder how many sort of physical manifestations of climate it's going to take before people really get, um, Mm -hmm. really really are aware of of the necessity of of action. But I I think it's coming very quickly. And and again, coming back to risk, I think when investors realise that there are significant financial losses by not doing anything, They'll start to do more things and faster.
0: In a sense, though, what wasn't the pandemic a a massive distraction from from the the climate emergency? And you know, you, you could say as well that this you know inflation um issue we've got around the world rising interest rates crisis in uh, in in the ukraine yet again just when we need to be focused on the climate you know our, our attentions are are being um uh, for, you know forced elsewhere if you like
1: i mean it does feel like a, a confluence of challenges right now they the conversations i've i'm having with investors and companies don't suggest that anybody's really taking their foot off the pedal, and having sort of worked through recessions from a financial services perspective. Um, if if we do, I mean, obviously we've just hit a technical recession in the US, and, and there are question marks about a recession in Europe. And and in some ways, I try to look at this more optimistically because I think if we enter a recessionary environment, people become um, more re- reflective. And start to look for opportunity. So what gets us into a recession is often completely different to what gets us out. And there is an awful amount of money going into transition and decarbonisation of energy systems. So I'm going to be optimistic and, and argue that really, we may see some opportunities here in terms of a faster transition and, and decarbonisation of, of our energy systems.
0: Well, it's a very positive note to 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 end on. Um, Helen, thank you very much uh, for your time and for your insight. Thank you as well to Share Action for all the excellent work that you do.
1: Thanks, Robin. It's been really great chatting to you.
0: You've been listening to the GSI podcast from Global Systematic Investors. I'm Robin Powell, and you heard me interviewing Helen Wiggs from ShareAction. GSI prides itself on designing, building and delivering portfolios that have better risk and return profiles than traditional market-weighted indices. If you'd like to find out more, visit the website gsillp.com, that's gsillp.com. Thank you again to Helen and thanks to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do review it. We'd love to hear your views. And of course, remember to subscribe to it so you don't miss the next one. Until then, goodbye.